0: Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. It was a classic... uh... You know, pick your team moment, uh, that many of you are familiar with. Uh, For me, it was a boarding school. Uh, About 20 of us gobbled down our dinner to make it up to a, to field as quickly as possible because we were going to squeeze in a soccer game, uh, before homework needed to get done. And we were up there standing. There were two captains standing in the field. The rest of us were lined up against the fence. Uh, and, and, and captains began picking their players. And as they were, you know, obviously they're picking their players. They're picking the most skilled players and there were seniors through fifth graders i was a fifth grader standing on the, on the on the fence there and, uh, and and you maybe know what this feels like cuz you kind of as the players get picked and you're still standing there you're looking and you have this kind of this, this it's internal acknowledgement of those of us who are left knowing that, you know, yeah, we're, we're not seen as the, the best players, but I didn't care because finally I got picked. Uh, there was two of us left as me and my friend Stanley and we got picked and we got to play soccer and, uh, and that was uh, sort of a nightly ritual. We had a great time doing that. Um, and, and if you kind of think of that moment, maybe it's another sport you played or something else you were doing, your teams are being picked. And in this case, it was soccer. The the captains are looking for a specific skill set. On um, that evening at uh, boarding school in Malaysia, they were looking for speed. Uh, they were looking for someone who had great footwork. They were looking for a defender who could clear the ball out of the end of the, of their half of the soccer field. They were looking for a a keeper to to guard the net like a guard would guard Fort Knox's gold. Uh, there, there, there's certain skill set. That, uh, that those captains were, were looking for as they pick their, their, their players. And as we're talking about God being on the move and talking about being a called people, uh, and we think about how God is, is building his team. One of the questions I want to ask as we look at Exodus 18 today is what's the skill set? What's, what is God looking for when, when he's on the move? I mean, think about the life of Moses. We've been talking about him a little bit in in this month. God is about to do a very significant work. He is going to draw Hebrews, slaves, out of Egypt and take them to the promised land. And he needs a deliverer. What's the skill set? What are the gifts that God is looking for in this leader? Is he looking for someone who takes initiative? Is he looking for someone who's decisive, someone who possesses charisma, someone who's persuasive, an entrepreneurial thinker? What is is God looking for when he is picking his team? And now I want to, I want to get to that and, 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 and kind of acknowledge for us what it is that God is attracted to. What has he got his eye out for when he's choosing people to partner with him as he accomplishes his purposes? And so if you got your Bibles, open them now to Acts 18. I want to read this text for us. And as I do, let me just tell you what you're going to hear. We're fast forwarding a bit in Moses' life. Uh, we, last week we were at the burning bush. Now it's about, it's about a month after the Hebrew slaves have been freed. And the, the Red Sea is in the rear view mirror, so to speak. They've had that high moment. And now they're in the in the wilderness. And they're about a month or so into this journey. And Moses is about to be reunited with his family his wife, uh, his children who are from Midian. And he's going to meet his father-in-law again, Jethro. And so it's this mini family reunion. And stories are going to be told. And tales are going to be recited about all the things that God did to free his people from Egypt. And there's going to be awe. And there's going to be just this wonder of who God is. But the part I'm going to read is the part where after those stories are told, Jethro, who is so impressed with his son-in-law, does a little job shadow, follows him around the next day to see this impressive leader in action who's been used by God, and what he sees sort of shocks him. In fact, this father-in-law is going to give his son-in-law some advice and tell him how to do his job. I mean, don't you love it when someone tells you how to do your job? Uh, but that's what's going to happen, and you're going to see a response by Moses that I think gets to the answer of what God is looking for when he's choosing people to accomplish the purposes that he longs to see established here on earth. Exodus chapter 18, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 where it says, The next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When, When a dispute rises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them instructions, his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people, too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now, listen to me, and let me give you a word of, of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him." Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and ten. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let them the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. This is God's holy word. So, so there you have it. I mean, Moses has just led the people out of Israel and he's reunited himself with his family. And we get to this really unique part of scripture where, uh, where Jethro, his father-in-law, is going to tell Moses, how to do his job. I mean, the way it's happening here is that Moses is, he's leading the people out and people have disputes. He's going to sort of be judge. He's going to pursue justice for people. And so uh, he's got people lined up all day and people have a, have a lot of needs for justice. I mean, there's disputes, there's quarrels that need to be, uh, peace needs to enter into those situations. I mean. Someone's probably saying, you know, your ox gored my sheep, uh, you're 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 stealing some of my manna. You ripped my tent. Uh your son's getting a little flirty with my daughter. Uh you you you, you stole from me and I, I need some, some justice and people are lined up. It's like you go to the grocery store, there's one checker, but there's a lot of customers and they're lined up into the aisles. It's it's Monday morning at DMV and the wait seems eternal. That's exactly what's going on on with Moses in the wilderness. And this is where Jethro comes in and he says, this, this is not good. This, this just isn't good. You shouldn't be working like this. And, and I can imagine that this is a moment for Moses in which he could perhaps be a little defensive or take offense at this father-in-law's advice. I, I think he could say something like, look, I spent the first 40 years of my life in the most powerful nation on earth. I, I mean, I was a prince in Egypt. I, I was in the palace hallways. I I saw how leadership was done, Jethro. And you're from some sort of backwater town in Midian, so hear me out on this, because I was in the throne room and I saw Pharaoh, the most powerful dictator on the planet, lead, and this is how he did it. And Moses could have been a little defensive. He could have taken issue with his father-in-law, but as we read the story, he he listens. And actually, as you listen to being played out, he he takes his father-in-law's advice because he listens. And I want to suggest to you that the characteristic that enabled Moses in this moment not to be defensive, not to say, look, I know what I'm doing, sort of back off here for a moment, just trust me, I, I know what's going on here. I think the characteristic that enabled Moses to make a shift that was very important for him to lead in such a way that he didn't have that full burden of leading God's people to the promised land was humility. I think when God's on the soccer pitch, when he's picking his team, when the players are lined up at the fence, and he's looking for the specific skill set or the characteristic, what he's most drawn to, what he's looking for in people who are called, who are going to be used by him, is humility. And Just for a moment, let me read to you from some scriptures that really get at the heart of God's... Uh, his. Being so attracted to this, this character quality of humility. Psalm 138 verse 6 says, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 34, the Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. Luke chapter 1 verse 52. God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those who are humble. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2. These are the ones I esteem. Or you could say, these are the ones that I admire, that I look up to. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. God is attracted to the humble. When God's on the field and he's picking his team, his eye is on those who show humility, which is why he's going to pick David, which is why he's going to choose Samuel, which is why he's going to have his eye on Deborah, which is why he's going to reveal the future to Daniel, which is why he's going to send Gabriel to Mary, which is why he is going to choose his disciples that he chooses, which is why he's going to choose Paul, and why he's going to choose Priscilla and Aquila. God is attracted to The humble. He keeps his distance from, literally, Psalm 138 says, he keeps his distance from the proud. And humility, as we see it, is sometimes a little difficult to define. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, humility is actually thinking of yourself less. And Moses says, Moses is a humble man. In fact, in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 12, uh, the writer of Numbers says, Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any person on the earth. Friends, God is attracted to the humble. And on this day... When God is on the move, he sends him Jethro, his father-in-law. His father-in-law sees him at work. He's doing a job shadow, and he literally says, this is not good. What you're doing, you should not do it that way. There's a new way to do what you're doing. And Moses, because he's a humble man, listens, and he takes his advice because he sees it as good advice. Now, fast forward some centuries with me. Fast forward to the days of Jesus and uh, meet some disciples of Moses who do not share the, his heart. Some disciples of Moses that, that the New Testament calls the Pharisees. They are the ones, the religious leaders of the day, who are enforcing the religious law, the, the, the spiritual standards of the day. They're going to keep all the laws and decrees, the, 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 the justice that Moses was enforcing in those days that were revealed to him by God. Yet, They don't have his heart of humility. And so Jesus, he's he's on the move, and he's gathered the called, and he's got some guys around him. And the Pharisees aren't part of that group because they are missing a key ingredient that God is looking for in those who will be used by him. They're missing humility. So Jesus is at a party one day. He's at a party with notorious sinners, as Luke tells us in his gospel. Uh, He's got a new disciple with him, Matthew, the tax collector, and that troubles the Pharisees. This new way of doing ministry has got them confounded, and these Pharisees, they're objecting, they're complaining, uh, they're lodging their their grievances to Jesus. And Jesus tells a couple parables, and one of the parables, one of the things, the pictures he gives is from Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 37. He talks about Wine skins. Now, I'll explain this in a moment, but let's listen to what Jesus says. in Luke chapter 5, beginning uh, in verse 37, he says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins, skins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and, ru- and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wine skins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. What's Jesus doing here? Jesus, Jesus is, he's on the move with his father. Moses was on the move following, following God, following Yahweh, the great I am. And he's leading people out, out of Egypt into the wilderness and eventually to the promised land. God is on the move in the New Testament through his son Jesus. And Jesus is doing things in ways that, that just doesn't fit what the Pharisees have in mind. And so Jesus has to give a little parable and says, look, no one puts new wine in old wineskins now let us just stop here because we're not familiar with wineskins we you know what what are we talking about wineskins wineskins are typically they're made from the skins of an animal here's a picture uh, for you of of new wineskins uh, that now, th- this is an animal that's, uh, that's been slaughtered, and it's been skinned, and what they would do in these days is they would take that skin, they would create a container with it, this is sort of a modern-day approach, this is from the country of Spain, and the skin, the, the new wine skin, the, the new wine is poured into it now, as the, as the wine ferments, there's gases that are being released, and the skin needs to be flexible. It needs to be able to change. It, it, it can't be brittle. It, it can't be inflexible. It has to be able to stretch with what's going on inside the, the wineskin. Uh, and that, that's, that's why you put new wine in new wineskins. Now, here's a picture of an old wineskin on the screen for you. You can see that the, the color has gone, and, and it's the, the, you can see the aged wineskin here. And the thing about old wineskins is they are not... Flexible. they are inflexible they are brittle and if you put something new in the old wineskins when when it, with wine as it begins to release the gases it actually will, will crack and everything that is new in the old wineskins will be ruined and lost. What is Jesus saying? What he's saying is, look, my father is on the move he's always at work he's doing something new. Yet you are inflexible, you are brittle, and you can't be trusted with this new thing that's going on. Otherwise, you would ruin it. And he can't choose them because they're arrogant. They aren't teachable. And yet they're disciples of Moses. Moses, on the other hand, is quite flexible. Here's a great picture of an old wineskin. I I remember, it doesn't have to do with anything but age. I remember I was in my late 20s. I was working in business. I was going to a church in Hood River, Oregon. Our pastor's name was Dan. There was about 300 people going to church, and we had Sunday morning service. We had Sunday night service. We had Wednesday night prayer meeting. And, uh, and Dan got up and announced that they were canceling the Sunday night service. I was outraged because you went to church on Sunday morning, you went to church Sunday night, and you went to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. That's just how you did church. That was the spiritual standard you kept. Dan had some different ideas of, of, of how we could utilize our time and, and how actually we could get some, things, some better things accomplished with our time and new ways of ministry. But as a, as a 20-something, I was, I was outraged. How dare he cancel Sunday night service? And then I became a pastor. I went to my first church. You know the first thing I canceled when I went to my first church? Yes, Sunday night service. There were like 25 of us there. There There's 300 there on Sunday morning. And that's just an example of that old wineskin kind of idea. We're confusing methods with the unchanging truth of Scripture. See, Moses is a new wineskin. He's flexible. Jethro brings to him a ministry idea that will sustain him as he's working with God, as he lives out this call that God has on his life. The Pharisees are an old wineskin. And they can't move with God. And if they tried, they'd ruin it. And, and it's all made possible because of humility. What, what is it? What is humility? Well, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4, states it really clearly because it says that humility is the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. It's wages, our riches, and honor, and life. It's the fear of the Lord. It's understanding that that there's a a great God, and I'm I'm submitting my life to him, and I'm going to follow after him. And so Jethro is saying to Moses, Moses, uh, what you're doing, it's not good. I don't care about your leadership development kind of thing you did in Egypt, but you're you're trying to lead like Pharaoh and it's not working and you're gonna wear yourself out and you're wearing the people out and they're gonna grumble and they're gonna complain and shift things up a bit and and put people over the groups of a thousand and put people over groups of a hundred and put people over groups of fifty and 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 ten and and here's what you should look for. You know, the number one characteristic, right, the very first thing that when Jethro says, look for people who are capable to lead, the first thing he says is, look for people who fear the Lord. Proverbs 22, verse 4, humility is the fear of the Lord, And and you need to put people in charge of these... Groups of a thousand and groups of a hundred and fifty and ten and look for humble people. Look for people who fear the Lord. Yes, look for trustworthy people. You know, the kind of people that you can release and you don't have to micromanage them. They get the job done. They can be trusted. And yes, look for people who have a passion for justice that whose hearts can't be swayed by a bribe. You know, people who whose eye for justice isn't isn't moved by money. Put these people in charge and and trust them and Moses is humble enough to let his father-in-law tell him how to do his job friends God's on the move he is on the move and he's he's like that captain on the field and the people are lined up at the fences And what's the character, what's the skill set, what's he looking for as he builds his team? Is it visionary leadership? Is it decisive? Is it initiative taking? Is it entrepreneurial thinking? No, it's humility. Because when God's on the move, he does things like send his son who humbled himself and took on flesh, obedient even to death on the cross. He chooses people who are willing to go through life submitting themselves to the Father. Now, we need to process this a little bit. So just a few handles for us. Let's just start with one of the very first ways we could really dig deeper into this idea of humility. Because let's just face it. It's, it's my personal conviction that there's a famine in the land when it comes to humility. I just think there's a famine I think it's very hard to, to find humility in our day and age. There's a lot of self-promotion. There's a lot of personal branding. There's a lot of people trying to make a name for themselves. So if, if this is what God is attracted to, if he keeps his distance from the proud, then we really need to get our heads around this. We need to get our hearts around this and grow in humility. Here's one of the, one of the ways you can do that. Do a personal study on this idea of the fear of the Lord. I mean, go to BibleGateway.com. Go to BlueLetterBible.org or SmartBibleSearch.com or get your Bible software if you've got it or just Google it and look at every single passage you can find in the scriptures that have to do with, with, with the idea of the fear of the Lord. And just start making notes. Get a journal out or get a Word document going. And when you come to me, maybe just focus on one for a couple days. Just take a a scripture that talks about the fear of God or the fear of the Lord and just start to mine it, start to meditate on it. Come under that word and let it begin to shape your heart. For example, here's here's a verse from the book of Leviticus. I'll put put it up on the screen. Uh, It it says these words. Uh, It says, Stand up in the presence of the elderly. And show respect for the aged. Fear your God, I am the Lord. Stand up in the presence of the elderly. Show respect for the aged, and uh, fear your God, I am the Lord. Now you just start mining that a little bit. There's something about showing honor and respect for those who are older, the, the elderly, that's connected to the fear of the Lord. Actually, what it is, it's it's humility, right? And so, what you could do is what I did in this case is I just turned it as I began just meditating on that verse. I just put it into a prayer. Lord, in these days, it seems that youth is esteemed. And oftentimes what happens, Lord, is that the elderly are treated as disposable. Lord, would you give me opportunities today to show respect for those who are elderly? And then I just keep chewing on that piece of Scripture the rest of the day. That's just doing a personal study on a concept that is quite important to God. Because when God is like a captain standing in the field and he's picking his players who are lined up at the fence, the one characteristic he seems especially drawn to, the one he esteems, is the humble and contrite in spirit. The one he keeps his distance from is the proud and the arrogant. And so... Since Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4 says that humility is the fear of the Lord, we should study it. We should dig into it. Here's the second thing. I'll just kind of put it as a, as a question up on the screen. Is my love for the old ways causing me to reject God's new invitation? Is my love for the old ways, the, the old ways of doing things, keeping me from being teachable, from being flexible, to adjust to the new thing that God is doing. Am I more like Moses, or have I become brittle and inflexible like the Pharisees? Do I find myself becoming defensive, easily offended? Now, let's just state something really important here. There are some things that should never change, right? I mean, authority Scripture. Jesus is God's Son. Uh, no one comes to the Father except through, through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There are some things that are unchanging. But look at all the ways that God accomplishes his purposes through Scripture and what you'll see is he does, he does it many different ways. Friends, am I more like the Pharisees or more like Moses? Can I accept God's new invitation and what he's inviting me into. So do a personal study on the fear of the Lord. And I would say, it's a very important question to ask is is my love for the old ways keeping me from accepting God's new invitation? Here's the last thing I would say to you it's simply this Join our new house church movement. Join our th- friends. We believe your leaders have listened and prayed and, 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 and discerned that in these days, for this season, we believe. This is how God is on the move among us. And we're gathering in house churches. We long for the day when we can all be together in this room. Believe me, we long for that day. It's going to be a fantastic. I can't wait to worship all together. The reality is in these days that we sense him inviting us to join as a house church movement. And I want to invite you to participate. Now, this week... It's brought me so much joy. We commissioned over 120 house church leaders. On the screen, you'll see some of these house church leaders. We did three commissionings. One of them was on Zoom, and we had house church leaders. We believe these are capable people, people who fear the Lord, people who are trustworthy, uh, people who aren't in love with money. They just love people, and they want to gather people and, and pour their life into them. And We believe this is something that God is doing, and you're being invited. Into this Now, here's something you need to know why. This is so important. When the only person that you are taking responsibility for is yourself, you will become very inward-driven, very self-focused. But when you take responsib- responsibility for the discipleship and for the care of six to ten people in a house church, do you know what happens? You begin to start having an outward approach, and you start to think of yourself less. And what this often does is it begins to produce a selflessness within you by the power of the Spirit and transform you into a person of humility simply by saying, yes, God, I'm I'm, going to do this. I feel a call to this, and I'm going to be part of the house church movement. So whether it's leading or participating, we get to embrace the new wineskin of what God is doing in these days and move with him wherever he might take us. Friends, God is attracted to humility. He's like a captain on the field. The players are lined up, and he's scanning and looking. And I believe one of the first characteristics he has his eye out for is the contrite, the humble, the meek, the one like Moses who's teachable and will say yes to him. Let's pray together. So Lord, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. The circumstances of yesterday are different. The circumstances today are different. The circumstances of tomorrow, boy, a lot of people are anxious about that, what the future might look like. But you're already there, and you're our God. You're the same God who delivered people from Egypt. You're the same God that was with David when he fought Goliath. You're the same God who was with your early church, and you're with us. Now, pour out a spirit of the fear of the Lord upon us. Lord, may we not be obsessed by uh, and, and fear the opinions of people. May we be a people who come under your leadership, who are teachable. Respond to what you're saying to us, the called ones, to accomplish the purposes you have for us today. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.